Welcome to season two of Shock Your Potential. I'm your host, Michael Sherlock. This spring, we focus on people, businesses, and organizations that are reaching for and achieving great heights. We'll learn their strategies, celebrate their triumphs, and dissect their challenges. Together, we'll dive deeper into how each of us can shock our own potential. Learn more today at shockyourpotential.com, shockyourpotentialpodcast.com, and salesmixology.com. And to stay in touch, text the word SHOCK, S-H-O-C-K, to the number 72000. Welcome back to another episode of Shock Your Potential. And my guest today, I haven't even warned him that I have a little bit of knowledge of of just enough to be dangerous of his topic. But first of all, let me just say he's a leading international foster care expert and consultant. And he has um, won a number of awards, including he and his wife being the recipients of Good Morning America's Ultimate Hero Award. And for those of you guys who follow me, you know I'm a big Good Morning America fan. Uh, They were also honored with their city's Citizens of the Year Award. Now, those things are impressive enough. And I'll tell you, if I took the time to list every part of it, every degree he has, we'd be here all day because this guy is smart and has a lot of great education. But here's what I really love. Before all this educational stuff, he was also a part of the international super sensational group up with people, which makes me want to sing right now. I'm not going to do it, but it's possible. He was also a DJ at four different radio stations on two different continents. He worked in the professional wrestling industry, which I don't even know if I want to ask questions about that. He was an English and drama teacher. Uh, I was an English teacher once upon a time too. He's worked as a media specialist, the director of the Foster Care Institute, and founder and national development director of Never Too Late, a residential group home for boys in foster care. Besides all the wonderful things he does to promote the importance of foster care in our world and adoption, he and his wife also have six children um, and often have other foster children in their homes, and their six children are between biologic and also adoptive. And John, I didn't get the chance to tell you this, but I am adopted. And so anything that has to do with adoption, foster care, anything that's about strengthening the opportunity for children who need a loving and warm home, I could not, uh, I just couldn't wait to talk to you. So with that huge introduction, John, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself that I didn't cover and a little bit about your story, your backline. And 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 what does that mean in terms of potential that you've reached for yourself? I don't think there's anything else to say. I think you said it all. Um, <laughs> it made me sound too busy. Uh, well, my wife and I have been fostering for 17 years. We've had over 60 kids come through our family. Um, we've had as many as 11 kids in our house at the same time. And uh, I really, really have a heart for children and for families in need. Uh, it wasn't something I really planned on doing. I never planned on becoming a foster parent or an adopted parent. It's just something that that kind of grew from various experiences. Our first child died of a condition called anencephaly, or some pronounce it anencephaly. It's a condition where the brain of the skull never truly formed. And I think that really led us to become foster parents because we thought, all right, we lost one child. How can we help so many other children who are in crisis, who are in need, who are hurting, who are in pain? That is, that's truly, a, it's a heartbreaking story, obviously, but 
what a what an example of taking your heartbreak and turning it into more love and saving some other children from heartbreak. I mean, that's a that's a huge huge undertaking. It's pretty darn impressive. Well, thanks. Thank you. Uh, you know. I- I'll be honest with you, foster parenting really is the hardest thing I've ever done. But at the same time, it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Every single child that's come through my house has made me a better person in some way, better husband, better spouse, better member of the community, a better parent. Um, So I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, I think about how tough it is just to be a parent. (laughs) And you know, when they're yours, and you can, you can use the line, I brought you into this world, (laughs) I can take you out of it again. (laughs) (laughs) But I can, I can imagine that you're that it has, uh, it has its challenges, and yet its joys. And you know, my, my whole platform is about potential. You know, how do we reach our potential? How do we achieve it? And it's fun because I don't think anyone that I've interviewed says, oh, well, I've reached my ultimate potential because we all see ourselves in a, in a state of progress with that. But um, as, we, as we try to better ourselves, better our profession, better our personal lives or professional lives, I think there's some key elements that, that I have uh, I've seen of people that really achieve some great things. And so I'm going to dive into them a little bit in my questions and we'll see kind of how they go. And the first one is, I believe that people that are reaching this kind of potential, and especially with you, the scales and the platforms you've been on to be able to talk about the importance of foster care and the foster care system, because you've been involved in, in a number of really high level programs for this. How have you tried to make sure that your message and your passion stands out in a crowd that's, you know, we've got so many issues in this world. How do you make sure that the concept of foster care really stands out? Well, I'm not afraid to share my own personal stories. I'm not afraid to share my own personal testimonies. I will be happy to tell people that, you know what, this has broken me many times. I have, I have spent days or weeks in tears grieving the loss of several children who I've come to love so dearly in my life when they return back. Uh, I've had four failed adoptions. Um, you know, there've been times where it's really been a struggle in my own marriage because when you're bringing children, well, to begin with, I've, I've got, uh, my wife's from Australia, so we have a whole different, you know, she's in this side of the world, I'm on that side of the world. Um, you know, I had to go outside the country to find someone to marry me. That, that's, <laughs> uh, now that's potential. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but you know, when you're bringing children into your family, into your marriage, who are suffering from such crisis and and suffering from anxiety and trauma, and you're focusing all your attention on them, that can be a struggle in all areas of your life. And I'm not afraid to share those and say, you know what, this is hard, yet it is so needed. And it's in every single community in our nation. And we need to help these children because if not, the statistics are so very, very grim. So I'm out there to say, yeah, this is, this is who I am, warts and all. It's easy to overlook if you don't see it every day or if you you don't know anyone that is in this situation or you haven't known a child that is, uh, you know, not certain where they are going to sleep that night or, you know, is this family going to, to keep me for a while? In fact, it's interesting, right before earlier today, I was at a, an estate planning meeting. So it was a, you know, kind of a how do you begin doing your estate planning, your living trust, all that kind of stuff. And one of the gals in the in the session today said, you know, she told the story of, uh, of her niece and her niece, her parents had been, um, it was her dad and her stepmom and they died in a horrific plane crash. And there were two younger siblings that were her half siblings and she was older and she was not able to take custody of them. 
Um, and it, she was really kind of their closest, but not. And this gal said, you know, I mean, who would have thought that one day, you know, they're going somewhere on an airplane and the next day their five and seven year old girls would not be, you know, have a home. And for years they were bounced around. And as she was telling the story, I was like, oh my God, you don't think about how easy it could be to have a child in your life, someone you know, or that is your relation, end up in the system in some way. No, absolutely right. Absolutely right. You know, there's, there's about 500,000 kids in the foster care system on any given day across the United States. And it's truly a, a system that's in crisis. And these kids are flooding into foster care from all backgrounds, from all races, if you will, all colors, all, uh, all ages. Uh, but really from one main reason, and that's because of the opiate crisis that's, that's uh, strangling our nation. There's also the issue of human trafficking or child sex trafficking, if you will. Um, and many of those kids end up victims of that as well. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've seen children um, as young as 27 hours of age and as old as 18 years old come into my home. We recently had two boys, two 17-year-old boys who were homeless, both of them homeless um, because of their family members just kicked them out basically uh for no fault their own so again all ages all sizes um all walks of life if you will and it's it's truly tragic every child deserves to have a family and every child deserves to have someone say i will love you i will yeah i'll love you regardless i will love right, you right unconditionally absolutely right mm -hmm. absolutely so, you know, I, I didn't get into all of your degrees. You have a number of degrees, let's see, BA in history, master's in media technology, master's in educational leadership, doctorate in educational leadership. Um, clearly I'm reading this off note because I did not memorize all this. <laughs> You've authored several books. And so I know that the easy answer in terms of what skills you've needed to develop to reach this level of, um, of success that you've had within this industry and become an expert is internationally. But you know, what other skill or what skills did you need to hone or have you honed throughout your career that have really helped you to be able to, to speak at this level, to be able to have an impact at this level, to really make a difference, you know, on a, on a global level? Well, I think to begin with, I'm really driven. I'm really driven to bring this message out. You know, before I was a foster parent, before I was an adoptive parent, I had, those misconceptions that so many have, that so much in society have. And I really believed a lot of things that are not true. So I'm driven daily to, to change that, to change the narrative and, and shed light onto it. I'm also driven to help children. I cannot let, a, I cannot see a child suffer without wanting to do something, without having to do something. So I think that's, that, that, that's the main thing. Uh, you know, also, at heart, I'm an entertainer. I've always been performing in some aspects, so I love, I absolutely love speaking in front of audiences. I, you know, a six-hour speech to me is six minutes. I just love it so much. Um, I, I enjoy meeting people um, and helping people. So I think it's a combination of a few things there. I know what you mean. It's funny um, because I can speak for an hour or all day and I will be exhausted, whether it's an hour or six hours or eight hours. I will be exhausted when it's over, but high. You know, it's a sense yeah. of that there's right. so much energy and excitement, even though my body's going, okay, you got to go take a nap. <laughs> Have dinner, yeah. bath, bath, go to bed. <laughs> You're done. But I think that that passion fuels your desire to learn then and continue to, to seek out the answers and to find the solutions. 
Yeah, I would agree too. And, and, and I really, uh, you know, I am energized, if you will. I'm filled up. My cup is filled up, if you will, by, by meeting members of the audience that I speak to. I love afterwards to go out in the audience and speak to people, hear their stories, answer some of their questions, listen to their concerns. And uh, just, it just fills me up, keeps me going. And it's, it's not easy. So, you know, with all the things that you're doing, all the ways you're trying to promote this message, all the activities that you are involved with, plus husband, father, uh, foster parent, uh, you know, whatever, friend, sibling, all these other relationships and things and roles that we play, there's, there's most people who are, are reaching high levels of potential have certain things that they do every day, habits, practices, things to keep them sharp, but to keep them focused and on track. So do you have a regimen that you follow every day? Do you have certain things that you try to do every day or a few times a week that help keep you at least as grounded as possible? Yeah, for one thing, and this may sound silly, but I believe in a good night's sleep. I try to get a good night's sleep. Now that can be hard when I have a a 27 year old, 27 hour old baby in my house who is suffering from type, some type of drug withdrawal. But I really focus on getting a good night's sleep. Uh, my wife is a doctor of nutrition. Um, so it's all organic and nutritional meals in our house, uh, lots of water. Um, I start each morning off with some prayer and then I have a schedule. Okay, this is what I want to accomplish today. This is what I need to accomplish today. And I'm always looking ahead, always looking ahead. My ninth book just came out two weeks ago. I've got my 10th book coming out in a few months in 2019. I'm thinking about the next book. Um, I'm always thinking about the next conferences I'm going to be speaking at and how else can I share this message to others? Mm -hmm. And I think it is important. It's funny when you said, you know, not everybody thinks about it that way, but a good night's sleep. And I think there's a lot of people who say, oh, you should get a good night's sleep. But planning for that good night of sleep and planning your day and planning your evening and, you know, doing the things like moving away from your electronic devices and, you know, having, you know, turning down the lights as you get closer. Those things are really critical to maintain balance because if you don't have a good night's sleep, like I did in the last two nights, um, it, it makes it challenging. You don't accomplish as much during the day. And I think that really hits your potential overall. I think so too, absolutely. And another thing that I do is I really, um, I'm really careful about the circle of friends that I surround myself with because I go to them to gain support or to gain help or to, or to, um, to, to enjoy life. And I have to remember I gotta take time off to fill up my own bucket. Again, when you have up to 11 kids in your house and you're feeling, focusing all your time on them and everything else, sometimes you forget about yourself. So I have to remind myself, okay, I do matter here. I've got to take care of myself, my own uh, well-being, my own emotional health. Um, otherwise, I can be dragged down. Absolutely. And I remember probably in my 30s, and you and I, you just celebrated, and I'm just about to celebrate my 50th. Uh, so we know, we've learned a few things in the last five decades. But I think it was my early 30s that I decided to cut out negative people in my life. Yeah. And I had a number of people that were, they were always a drain and everything they said was all, you know, you hated to say, how was your day? Cause they're like, Oh, it was horrible and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Or, or they were people that wanted to gossip about other people constantly. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't care. I just want to, I just want to be able to enjoy. I want to be able to refill my, my energy bucket, but cutting out negative people for me was substantial. Cause I'm, I, I don't, I don't like the negativity. I like the positivity, 
but I realized I had surrounded myself with a few people that were negative and it, I wasn't going to let that infect me any longer. Yeah. I don't have time for complaining. I don't have time for people to say, I can't do that. I don't have time for that. There's too much to do. Too much to do. <laughs> too many people just depending on you to keep positive. That's for sure. No. <laughs> well, we're going to take a quick break, John, and hear from our sponsor, and we will be right back. Do you sell a product or service? Do you have a message that people need to hear? Then consider the Royalty Gem Proximity Marketing Device. And that's royalty with an IE, not a Y. Create your own ad and broadcast it to devices near you. I use two gems to promote my books and even this very podcast. My smaller gem promotes my message in a 100 meter radius, while my larger gem broadcasts out 400 meters and other gems can broadcast even farther with a minimum number of guaranteed impressions every month. By following the app on my phone, I can see just how many people have seen my messages and how many click through to my sites. A small monthly charge ensures that I reach new audiences every single day. Walking through the city, running through an airport, even working in my office, I'm guaranteed that my messages are seen by thousands of people every month. To learn more, click through on the link on our sites or visit royalty.com backslash question mark AF equals shock your potential. Remember that's royalty with an IE. R-O-Y-A-L-T-I-E dot com backslash question mark A as in Apple, F as in Frank equals shock your potential. And it will be the best marketing dollar you've ever spent. We are back with Dr. John DeGarmo. And uh, so as we're talking about not only your experiences in the foster care system and your passion for it, I think as we look at people's potential and how they achieve great things over time, I see a continuity where people cultivate people and opportunities that drive them to their potential. So surrounding yourself with, with others. What opportunities and people did you surround yourself with throughout your career that have helped you to achieve the potential where you are now? Oh, I couldn't have done anything without my wife. You mentioned pro wrestling. For me, a long time ago, it was, a, it was an absolute dream of mine. My wife hated it with every fiber and bone of her body. But Wait, she's up, were you doing professional set. wrestling? Yep. Did you wear a crazy outfit? I did. I did. Okay. Yep. 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 And she, <laughs> said to me, she said, go and get this out of your system so you don't have a midlife crash later on. Uh, you know, we actually, we actually moved from Australia and flew into Atlanta, Georgia. And our oldest child at the time was only three weeks old. Three-week-old baby flew into Atlanta, Georgia with no house, with no car, with no job, but didn't know anybody with just that dream of mine. Um, and I had to chase it. Uh, you know, I couldn't, so I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have got my doctorate. My wife, my wife was doing her doctorate at the same time I was doing ours. I was doing mine. Um, you know, I really I depend upon her for a lot of things. Uh, I, I couldn't have written all these books without her support. So to me, she's instrumental. Uh, absolutely right. Um, and I've had the blessing of knowing her for about 30 years now. Uh, and then, you know, there's a certain, I have a close circle of friends too, all across the globe who I'll pick up the phone and say, Hey, just how are you doing? What do you think about this idea? What do you think about that idea? But more importantly, make me laugh. Oh, that's so good. I just still can't, I'm, I'm still just flabbergasted by the whole professional wrestling thing, but yeah. you know, given most your background in drama, yeah, most <laughs> <and people are. laughs> one day I want to see a picture. 
not something I bring up very often unless somebody else brings it up. <laughs> hey, you had it in your bio. I'm going to use it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, I, I, love, I love the concept of, of the people around us that we can rely on. And one of the things I know that I've done for myself recently, which has been one of the smartest things, is I have two people that I really, really respect and that we've had professional relationships for a long time. And so we created, I guess, what you'd call a mini mastermind, the three of us, because we're all in these different evolutions of our next stage careers. And we get together once a quarter, we talk once a month formally, and then, but we are constantly ideas back and forth and emails back and forth and just the level of, um, of being able to, to share with them, both get ideas, but even last week we got together, two weeks ago, I guess, um, we got together and I said, I go, you guys, you know what? It's been two years now since I was in corporate America. And yes, I'm doing all these fun things. I'm doing all these grand things. I'm, I, I don't know who I am anymore when I don't get up and get dressed and go out the door to work anymore. You know, I come down to my basement office and I have my yoga dog over there. So yoga dog keeps me company. But it was so great to be able to say, look, I don't, I don't know who I am and have them say, oh my God, me neither. Well, let's talk about it. What can we do? And we strategize that, but that, that ability to be uh, vulnerable to people around you and to be right. honest. It, and then we'll speak honestly back to you. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in constructive criticism. Tell me how I can improve in all areas. How can I learn? What can I learn more to better myself so I can help other people? Absolutely. And it's not easy always to have that be your spouse. So, you know, great job for you guys. And, you know, sometimes with my husband and I, we his job is very different than mine. So we try and have a a time where there's not a work dialogue between the two of us because I want to keep him on that. It's like when you want friends just to make you laugh, there's, you know, that different balance. I don't want us always talking about work because I need to have, you know, those energy sources replete, re, uh, replenish within me that have to do with heart and life and love and laughter and those things. So it's all a balance. Very yes, good. it really is. Yeah. So the, one of the, the, you know, last most important uh, critical factors that I've identified in terms of people reaching their own potential is knowing your worth, knowing your value as an individual and, you know, for your business or whatever you're doing, there's a sense of, I know a lot of people that don't really know how to, don't have a sense of their own value or their own worth, or you have people that have an overly inflated um, idea of their value and worth. So, you know, in terms of you, how has knowing your worth, knowing your value helped you to continue to move along and, and do crazy things like, you know, if it's going for professional wrestling, I mean, that's a huge leap, but you had to know there was something in it to what you're doing now. You know, where's, what's that piece been for you? Well, I've never really been afraid to try new things and try new adventures. And I, I think I had uh, early on a sense of uh, installed within me, perhaps one of my parents, that I could do anything that I set my mind to. And I really believe that. And so I tried to pass it on to my own children. You know, one of the things I do is I am a personal coach for people who, who want to get into the speaking field or who want to become new uh, authors, if you will. And I hear so many times, I don't think I can do it. I'm not worth it. I don't think I have it in me to do it. So part of my coaching is telling them, you absolutely do have that within you. Um, let's bring that out. Let's learn how to grasp that and embrace it. So one of the things I did a long time ago was I embraced the fact that, you know what, if, if I set my mind to it, I'm going to do it. 
Absolutely. And that gives you, yeah. And sometimes it's a little bit of fake it till you make it, which I kind of never like that statement because it doesn't sit right with me, but it yet, if you don't practice something before you're good at it, how do you get better at it? So absolutely right. Right. And looking for new opportunities always to, to hone your skills. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And, and to feel like it's okay to take risks and take chances. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, before I, I wrote my first book, I did a lot of writing beforehand. Uh, and so it just kind of evolved into a book before I became a paid speaker, professional speaker, I was doing a lot of, you know, things here and there at Rotary clubs and Kiwanis and it just, you know, they all kind of evolved. Again, it's honing your skills over and over and over again and looking for new opportunities to grow. I was, I'm laughing when you were talking about before you wrote your book, first book you were writing. I actually wrote my first book, quote unquote, in my mid twenties. And I wrote a, a fiction book, kind of fantasy, magical places and people and powers. It was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. I wrote like 300 pages. It was horrible. 400 pages. It was horrible. But you know what? It wasn't horrible. It wasn't going to be something that sold, but it gave me such an ability to start to practice. And then I didn't do anything with it for 20 years. And when I sat down to write my first leadership book, at first I had so much trouble trying to figure out what I wanted to write or because I didn't know how I wanted to write it. So I was thinking I had to be clinical. I had to write it in that way. And one day it dawned on me, just write it like a novel. But make it better than you did 20 years ago. <laughs> you know, let's let's get a little bit better than that one. And then it after that point it just flowed. So my my books that are coming out, they're all characters that follow through and you know different ways to weave the story in. And that's kind of how I tell stories anyway. But it also worked that way. But it took practicing to show me what I could do. Oh, right, right. And people want to see, you mentioned characters. You know, one of the things I found um that helps me to become a successful speaker is sharing my own stories. People want to hear stories. People want to see vulnerability. You know, none of us is perfect and it's okay for us to share our imperfections. And sometimes, many times I'm laughing at those imperfections of myself and the audience starts laughing and you know, that brings us closer together. Mm, I agree very much so. Well, we're getting near the end. I have a couple of questions left, but this, the, this one I want to just get a feel for what's next for you. What's the next level of potential that you want to achieve personally or professionally? Well, working on a potential TV show, um, which I'm not going to talk much about, but there is that possibility we're working with that. Um, always looking at a new book. Again, I'm, I'm now doing a lot of coaching for people who are new speakers and new authors. Um, opened up a, a home for boys, a residential home for boys. And I have a few other projects that I am dwelling about, thinking about, turning over in my head, um, but I'm not ready to discuss this yet. But, you know, I'm, I'm, it never stops. I'm always thinking, what's next? What's next? What's next? And that's important. I, Otherwise, you're just, just stagnant. Yeah, I always keep my little notebook with me all the time. And it's filled with random ideas. Some will never go anywhere. But it was better than just keeping them in my head. Because yeah, I, wish, I wish I had a little notebook, but with these little kids running around my house, they could torn up or colored or, you know, cut in pieces and, and uh, you know, maybe uh, crayons all over it. So yeah. you're like, that was my greatest idea. And you used it to make a snowflake. Yep. My jump drive with my doctoral dissertation on it. Uh, one of the kids threw it in the pond. There you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly how I felt. Exactly how I felt. So now everything oh. is back to four jump drives. 
Oh boy, God bless you. <laughs> okay, so when you get your TV show, I want to be on it. Um, okay. so, so we will have all of your contact information on the show notes and linked to all your books and links to your website. But if anybody's listening right now and they want to look you up immediately, what's the best way for them to find you? Just Google the Foster Care Institute or Dr. John DeGarmo, and you'll see a lot of things, not only foster care and adoptive related, but all things parenting related as well. And Absolutely. Excellent. John, it has been a pleasure. Before we wrap up, do you have any last uh, pearls of wisdom or words of advice for my listeners? Well, I want to go back to the foster care part, if I will. You know, in every community, there's a child who is suffering. In every neighborhood, there's a child suffering. And not everybody can be a foster parent, but everybody can help a child in crisis in some way. And if we don't come together to do that, we're going to be looking at a next generation of children whose anxiety levels and trauma levels are going to affect all of us. It is all of our responsibility to care for these children in some way. What ways can people help with they're not able to be a foster parent? Oh, great. Thanks for asking. They can be mentors. They can be tutors. They can provide school supplies. They can provide food or clothing for the children or for foster parents. They can provide, um, if the kids want to go on to learn new skills, they have job opportunities, teaching them new skills. There's many, many ways that people of faith, people of all opportunities, people of all backgrounds can help children in foster care uh, and children in crisis and children from child sex trafficking in some way. Oh, absolutely. And, and as you were talking, I was just thinking about, you know, how many of these kids still, even in a foster family, might not have the access to go to summer camp or something that, you know, maybe you can't help them in your home, but you could help give them an experience if you think creatively. Yeah, you can sponsor them in a camp, sponsor them in a sport. Absolutely right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. How many need yeah, uh, tennis shoes for basketball or whatever? There's lots of ways to help. I'm, I'm right. glad. And that's, I think that's, that's uh, something that will make a lot of people be able to think of, you know, I can do a little and a little, if enough people do a little, it turns into a whole lot. Right. You're absolutely right. These children are just crying out for someone to say, I will help you and I will love you unconditionally. And that can be all of us. Absolutely. Well, John, thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing all of your potential with us, as well as helping us to remember the role that we can play for the most important people in our world, and that is the next generation. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be connected with you, and I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Shock Your Potential. To learn more, visit shockyourpotential.com, shockyourpotentialpodcast.com, salesmixology.com. You can find my first book, Tell Me More, How to Ask the Right Questions and Get the Most Out of Your Employees at Amazon. To get a snippet of it for free, text the words, tell me more to the number 72,000. That's tell me more to 72000.